All right, and uh, as we continue our study in the book of Acts, and uh, we really want to see the setting and the signs of Pentecost this morning, and uh, in looking at Acts 2, 1 through 13, uh, we're seeing the uh, theological significance and the historical significance of the early church and what was happening spiritually uh, on this day in particularly, and what was seen, what was felt, and what was heard by those that were there. And so this was a big happening, you might say, uh, in, the, in the church. And uh, the world would never be the same after Pentecost. We would never be the same after Pentecost. Multitudes came to Christ and are still coming to Christ because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in His fullness on that day. And uh, 3,000 people, we find, are converted and, uh, on this day. And uh, different people from all over the known world of that time Jews that had been uh, dispersed uh, are coming now from, from the different parts. Jews that had been circumcised in the flesh were about to be circumcised in the heart. And, uh, and so praise God for this. And as Joel says in, in chapter 2 and verse 17, which we won't get to, we find that we are truly living in the last days. And uh, so in contrast to the Old Testament days, uh, God is now doing great things. I want you to notice that when we read that in verse 11. God is doing great things. And we are here today as a result of God doing great things. And so let's read together God's word as, uh, as we find it in uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And ask God to speak to your heart. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all those who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Pergia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues. Notice the wonderful works 
of God. They were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, They are full of new wine. And uh, in other words, they, they are drunk. And uh, so we want to uh, look at this portion this morning and may his blessing be upon uh, his word to the hearing uh, in our hearts. Hear it with your heart. Don't just hear it with your head because there are some applications this morning I want to bring out. We see how God prepared this day to occur. This is no accident how all this came about. We know that God sent his uh, son who made a grand entrance at his birth. And uh, with all that the shepherds and all that, we, we talked about that at Christmas time and what, uh, what occurred there. But now we find God's spirit makes a grand entrance. Whose spirit? Jesus' spirit. His spirit. The spirit of Christ. Uh, but uh, it is God's spirit. And Christ, of course, is God. And, uh, of course, Christ and the Holy Spirit were in the world uh, before Pentecost and before in the Old Testament. Both were there uh, prior to these events. And we know that, of course, from Scripture. As we look at Scripture, probably one of the best examples of Christ being in the world was with uh, Meshach, Shagrach, and Abednego when there was a fourth person walking with them, and he's called the Son of Man, who was Jesus. And so we have that appearance, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And then, of course, uh, we have even in in creation, uh, where the Spirit of God, it says, hovered over the waters. And so it's not that they have just now shown up on the scene, but now... The Spirit has come with great power and fullness like He's never done before. And He is still doing mighty works in this world. And He is working in our lives and should be in a mighty way. And we need to pray, God, work in me in a mighty way. You ever prayed that prayer? I mean, that's kind of a dangerous prayer to pray. Lord, work me in a mighty way. Whoa, you better watch out because it may not look like uh, what you wanted to, to see. But nonetheless, that should be our prayer. Uh, the, the setting also shows us something of the wisdom of God's providence and his timing. Uh, the setting is described in verse 1, verse 5, and verses 9 through 11. And uh, three things to take note of uh, concerning Pentecost, and that is, Number one, it's a Jewish his, it's a Jewish holiday. Then, secondly, as we read, there were Jewish foreigners in Jerusalem from all over the known world at that time. Even Gentile proselytes were part of that, no doubt. And uh, thirdly, I think we'll see a Jewish expectation. Uh, Pentecost was the most. Uh, uh, light of all the holidays. It was a time of festivities, and, and, uh, but strictly this was a Jewish holiday. Make no 
a mistake about it. There are three names for this holiday. Uh, Pentecost, of course. Then there's the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Ingathering and a harvest feast. They brought their first fruits and who, that were offered in the temple, thanking God for the harvest and His goodness. You can read about this in the Old Testament in Exodus 34, Leviticus 23, Numbers 28, and Deuteronomy 16. I, you know, we could go back and, and spend time there, but something I think you can do on your own if you care to. But the Feast of Weeks, it was called this because on the Passover day, the Feast of Weeks was held 50 days later. And on the 50th day, it was called the Day of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks because 49 days is 7 weeks. 7 times 7 is 49 if you remember your multiplication table. And uh, I taught school, and I don't think I'll ever forget my multiplication, multiplication table. But anyway, uh, the Holy Spirit on this day of Pentecost came down, and there was not an ingathering of crops, but an ingathering of souls. Isn't it amazing how God had this occur on this day when there would be other Jews from other and, and proselytes from all over the known world, they are become believers. And then what do they do? They go out into all the areas that they came from to take the gospel. And so we see uh, God's grace. Uh, and so it was a spiritual. It was a spiritual uh, where other had been a shadow. Now it actually takes place. In gathering of souls, 3,000 souls are saved. What a harvest that was. And that was just the beginning because we have known in other revivals throughout this country and other countries, there have been tens of thousands of people that have been saved at a time. So this is a, an, an, ongoing, an ongoing thing in the world. God's spirit is active. And working in a, in a mighty way. Never forget that. Uh, these Jewish uh, foreigners uh, that had been scattered abroad became believers, believers. And uh, so this was a perfect occasion for the gospel uh, to be spread. God's purpose for Pentecost was for the universal missions of the gospel to be spread to all the world. And it's still going on today. And of course we find out in the epistles how God used Paul and called him and we'll, we've seen that. But uh, the Jews, of course, were expecting the Messiah. They just missed him when he came. And... Uh, if you read in the book of Daniel, it talks about uh, uh, the weeks, the 70 uh, uh, years, and uh, multiply that times seven, you have 490. You can go back and read all of that. That's in Daniel chapter 9. I'm not going to go into that as well. But uh, they were looking for the Messiah to come. And so they were expecting uh, to immediately come. And... Uh, and to set up his kingdom. 
Well, he did set up his kingdom. They missed that too. What were they looking for? They were looking for a conquering king who was going to overthrow the Romans. And so when Jesus, they realized that that was not Jesus' agenda, many of the disciples, it says, left him and didn't follow him anymore because he was interested in souls, not just a physical setting up of a kingdom. So they stumbled, they stumbled over the fact that Jesus was a suffering servant that had to die on a cross. That was just unheard of. So they missed it. Um, And I think this is why Peter preached, as we'll see in the days ahead, what he did in Acts uh, 2, uh, 15 through 39. It says in verse 33 that we'll get to that Jesus was exalted to what? His throne in heaven. That's in verse 33. And now, where does Jesus rule? In our hearts, by his spirit. Wow. And then one day, I believe, he's coming back again, and he's going to set up a literal kingdom here on this earth or on another earth. But anyway, that's, that's uh, uh, different interpretations about all of that, and uh, we'll get to that in the future. But I want to see, secondly, the signs of Pentecost, verse, verses 1 through 8. Uh, the miraculous and the supernatural took place on this date. Can be no doubt about it. This was a special happening uh, that they... Uh, experienced and uh, there were some things that led up I think to these three signs and uh, I don't think it's a coincidence coincidence first of all that this happened on the first day of the week the first day of the week Uh, Sunday uh, was I believe to take place of the old Sabbath the seventh day and we can see several things that tend to point to that. And that's why we're meeting on Sunday, okay? And uh, there are those that would disagree that we're still supposed to meet on uh, the seventh day, and that's fine. Uh, they're entitled to hold to that. But I think we do correctly by meeting on Sunday. Uh, first of all, God said... What did he say on the first day of the week? Now, that's interesting. This was pointed out to me. I'd like to take credit for it, but I'm not. But it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and then it goes on to say, and what happened? And God said, let there be light. Let there be light. So the first day, uh, we find that uh, it was a day of light, the first day of the week. Also, what day was Jesus raised on? He was raised on the first day of the week, and that was we could say a day of life, a day of life, raised from the dead on the first day. So now we have it's a day of light and a day of life. And uh, 
when Jesus met with his disciples after his resurrection, it was on the first day of the week, surprisingly enough. Also, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, he says, Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of, the, of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made on the first day of the week when you meet. And so again, I think it's pretty clear. John says in Revelation, what does he call it? Revelation 1.10, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. On the Lord's day, the first day of the week, it was my day, the Lord's day. Uh, so we are, when we meet together, we're celebrating light and life that we have in Christ. Christ has illuminated our hearts by his Holy Spirit. He's given us a new life. And all of these things, I think, are significant of why we meet on the first day of the week. So just think about that and, uh, uh, in your own heart in your own life. And I'm going to make the application at the end. It's always uh, a temptation to give the inter uh, to, to do it now, but I'm going to wait for that. So, we find here in, at Pentecost uh, a coming of these signs. God revealing something that he hasn't revealed before. He is about to reveal something that he hasn't revealed before. And uh, this great work of God, these supernatural signs. The first sign was a mighty rushing wind. Notice that in verse 2. It was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. The separate, second uh, supernatural is found in verse 3. Tongues as of fire. This was... Supernatural. This was sight. So we have sound, sight. And then in verse 4, they were speaking with other tongues. This is supernatural speech. So what we have here is a supernatural event. This is something that had not occurred in this way. And uh, we find things like this in uh, the Old Testament, but not to such an ex extent. First of all, the supernatural sound the sound of a mighty wind. This is, this is the sound that wind would make. But notice, it's not a wind. It wasn't blowing things over and, and turning over tables or blowing trees down. It was the sound that wind makes. Okay, And everybody that went through Hurricane Frederick knows the sound that wind can make. It's scary. It's, it's loud uh, and so forth. And uh, it comes, it comes uh, <clears throat> sometimes in abundance. And we had that on the day of Pentecost. Abundant, a sound, a great sound that everyone heard. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma. It means air, wind, or breath. And so it came powerfully in abundance on this on this particular day. 
And it's interesting, in John 3, Jesus refers to uh, the Spirit. He says, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. A person has to be born again by the Spirit of God, or he is not a believer. He's not a Christian. You must be born again. So he goes, he says, the wind, panuma, the Spirit, the air, blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound. In other words, it, it's going to have an effect, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone born of the Spirit. And so this is what was occurring. We have the Spirit coming in great power. The Spirit, of course, is invisible. I don't think anybody here has ever seen the wind. Uh, if you have, I want to know how you did that. And, and uh, No, you, you see the things that are in the air, but you actually do not see the wind itself. Uh, that should be pretty obvious. Uh, also, we see the sovereignty uh, of God here. God is in control, as Jesus said. We're not. Uh, he is sovereign, and then he is powerful. The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God uh, blows mightily. And uh, sometimes we see the Spirit of God in conversion drastically changing somebody. I have known people that were so drast drastically changed, you, you immediately said, this is a new creature in Christ. But then other people, the Spirit of God moves slowly on, and it's a slower growth in their life, and then after 20 or 30 years, you'll say, boy, that person is, is so close to Christ. And so the wind can blow gently or the wind can blow powerfully. But to this, on this day, it was powerful. It was, it was uh, something to behold. And uh, also, secondly, we see it was a supernatural sight. It looked like Fire. It, the fire looked like tongues that, that uh, rested on them. Uh, it was a, not a consuming fire. It was like the fire of the burning bush that Moses saw. The bush was not consumed. So the fire that came down on them looked like a tongue. I don't know if it was a, a forked tongue or what it was, but it rested on each one. Remember, in the Old Testament, you had the, the pillar of fire that followed the Israelites, and it rested over the tabernacle. Well, here, what is the Spirit of God doing? It's resting on each person. The Spirit of God, if you're a believer this morning, is resting on you. Not only that, you have the Spirit of Christ in you, powerfully, if you take advantage of that. And there are ways that we can do that. And we're going to see that. And uh, the, this uh, pillar of fire uh, is light. It brings light. The Spirit brings light. It illuminates our hearts. We can see where we couldn't see before. See all the, the symbolism and, the, and uh, how God is, is orchestrating all this and bringing it together. It's just amazing. And then it says they were speaking in other tongues. Tongues here are clearly real languages. Now, we, we, you can argue about later on or whatever, and I'm not going to get into that either. 
But right here, it's real languages. Uh, that he's not a static speech, not babbling, but uh, the, the Greek word is dialectos, dialect, conversation. Not gibberish, not misunderstood, just babbling. No, it's something that they heard in their own language. This was supernatural. I don't know in that sense that it occurs today. I'm not going to say... I'm not going to say emphatically that God couldn't use that in a situation, but here this was special. Everybody heard in their own language, and there were lots of, as we read in, uh, in the passage, there were a lot of language, and they heard. So it was a supernatural happening of God, a powerful thing. And they were Galileans. They were not smart people that had learned two or three different languages. No, they were unlearned. In our closing... I want to look at four observations as far as application. First of all, God's timing is always impeccable. It's impeccable. And by that I mean uh, the whole stage was set by God for this occurring. Remember, God in the fullness of time sent forth his son. Well, we can say the same thing here. God and his timing had this happen, brought it about. Uh, it's always perfect. God's plan is always perfect and fitting. And uh, we heard that uh, one of the comments this morning in Sunday school was into that end. And uh, in the dark days that we have, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that event that's happening to you is not an accident. God is not out somewhere taking a nap and comes back and say, oh my goodness, look what's happened to so-and-so. I better correct that thing. No. His plan for you is perfect. I'm not saying that we don't stumble and mess up and, and all, but God, uh, God's plan is perfect. Uh, we need to trust him that he is all wise. God is all wise. We're going through the book of Proverbs on Wednesday night. The last, last Wednesday we saw, the Lord brought me, that's wisdom, forth as the first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was formed long ages ago, which means eternal. The wisdom of God is eternal. At the very beginning when the world came to be. And so... Uh, that's our God. He is a wise, all-wise God. He is so much bigger than what you think he is. Multiply it times a trillion, and you still hadn't begun to understand the powerful, all-wise, all-knowing God that we serve. He knows everything about everything and even the possibilities that could have been if as somebody said, I thought that was pretty good. Uh, no, he is, he, he is in control. And, of course, the verse that we all love, when we went through Romans, we saw Romans 8, 28. And we know, we know, that beyond any shadow of a doubt, that in all things, all things that's happening to us, everything that's going on, God works for the good of those who love him. In other words, there's not something working for your detriment, in God's eyes, there's a purpose behind it. 
who have been called according to his purpose. And I want you to uh, just grab hold of that and hug it. Somebody said, you know, God is, is, is uh, uh, baking a cake, and you're the cake. But what goes into that cake? Bitter things, sweet things, things that I can't even pronounce maybe. Uh, uh, you don't want me baking a cake. But anyway, they're ingredients. But you know what? You mix all those ingredients and you stir them all together, do you still have a cake? What must that cake go through? The oven to turn out to be a cake. And that's what God is doing with us. We're going through an oven. But there's a purpose behind everything that we go through. And so remember that. And uh, the second thing is uh, God would have his word translated and communicated in the common language of the people. Of course, back then, Greek was known. And God used the Greek language to to spread his word. But I also want to say uh, God blessed people who translate the Bible in the native language of these countries where there is no Bible. The Wycliffe Bible translators and so forth. Wow! That's what we see here. They were hearing in their own language, in their own native tongue. The Reformation brought the Bible to the people in their own language. And uh, we know before that it was Latin and only the the, the uh, the priest and so forth knew that, and uh, so the people were ignorant, really, of what the scriptures taught concerning uh, the Bible. Uh, and let me just mention very quickly, the King James Version is not the only version. It's a good version. I've memorized a lot of the verses that I've memorized in the King James Version, so I'm not throwing stones but there are other translations that are good and that you can learn from. And so just remember that. Uh, also, thirdly, the gospel is all about the mighty works of God. And this is really, uh, now that we're just about out of time, I've gotten really to the meat of it here in verse 11. You know, don't think that Peter was the only one who was speaking the mighty works of God. We find that uh, many there were doing this. What does he mean by the mighty works of God? I think it's what God had done through Christ. He had done a mighty work in Christ. Christ had come. Christ had died on the cross. And that's what Peter goes into in his sermon, and that he had been raised from the dead and so forth. His mighty work. And uh, I wonder today when the gospel is preached in the average pulpit, does it leave an impression on the hearts of the hearers as being a mighty work of God? Because it is, brothers and sisters, a mighty... You are a miracle if you know Christ. You are a miracle if you know Christ. I hope you see that. Because it's so important to see. 
Because we ask, well, how could God forgive the guilty? How can God be just and then justify the ungodly? How can God be just and yet reveal his grace? He did so at the cross where justice and grace met. The mighty act of God is where God's wrath that we deserve is poured out on Jesus, our substitute. That's the mighty work of God. That is our salvation. His salvation is complete. That's why we look to Christ. Don't look to yourself. Don't say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm going to make it because I've been a pretty good person. You won't make it. Because you are not your salvation. Christ is your salvation. And this is what Peter and all of them are going to go out telling the world. You need Christ. The just for the unjust. Christ died who was totally just for the unjust. And all of our sins are forgiven. Another thing that is preached today is that man is really not dead in his trespasses and sins but quite able in and of himself to repent and believe and to decide for Jesus. Salvation then becomes not, becomes not a mighty work of God, but a work of man who makes a wise decision of his own free will on his own part. It's easy believism. It's man-centered. It's man having a part and his salvation, now don't misunderstand me, we receive personally Christ. But it's all of God. It's what God has done. You're a miracle. Accept it. Give him the glory. Give him the praise. And don't go, well, you know, I had a part in this. My brother, who's not quite as smart, well, they don't see it because, well, you know, I'm just more intelligent. That's Pride. Fall, at the, fall down to the cross and say, thank you, God, for saving a wretch like me who sins against you every day in thought, word, and deed, and yet you still have mercy on me. You still love me. You care for me. How can that be? It happened at the cross. It's all paid for. It's all gone. Believe it because it's true. You had nothing to do with it. It's a, why do they call it amazing grace? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That Arthur understood grace. A lot of people today don't understand grace. It's grace plus. It's grace what plus something that I've done or deserved or whatever. And you just go, okay, here we go again. No, it's outside of you. You're justified freely by his grace. Scripture says, Lastly, the last observation, we find the preaching of the gospel has always received a varied response. It says here that those that heard, and you, and you just wonder, gosh, what they saw and witnessed, everybody would believe. No, that's just not the case. There were some who did not. They mocked. They said, Ah, they're full of sweet wine. And so Peter says, wait a minute, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Let's get real here. There's something going on here 
other than people drinking. By the way, just in uh, drinking alcohol is not forbidden by God. I just want to throw that in there. It's sort of a satellite. Uh, but drunkenness is. Drinking is not a sin. Now, if you don't want to drink, that's fine. But don't condemn somebody else that does. Jesus drank wine. He did. I'm sorry if, that, if you don't like that. But he was not a drunkard. What did he say? What did he say? You know, here comes John the Baptist, neither drinking or eating. And you say, he's a, he's, he's, he's a quack. He's crazy. And he says, I come both eating and drinking, and you call me a drunkard. Well, if he wasn't drinking wine, they wouldn't, he would have said that. How can I get drunk when I don't drink alcohol? No, he did. Doesn't mean that, okay, it gives me license to go out and drink. And if you don't want to, that's up to you. By the way, did you know this verse? Psalm 104, verse 15. Wine that gladdens the human heart. Wine gladdens human hearts. Wow. Pretty interesting. Oinos. The Greek word is oinos. It's always fermented. In the scripture, it's, all, it's not grape juice. So, so in, in closing, we see that not all people are going to respond to the gospel when you witness to them. But you know what? You're still to witness to them. And you'll find out that many of those that you witness to, you, you will think, I thought sure they'd come to know Christ, and they don't. And other people you witness to that you would never, ever think trust Christ do. So witness to all of those that you come in contact with. Remember what Jesus said? Uh, it's so interesting in Luke 16, 31. This is the last verse, and about to close. He says, he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Pretty well said. You see what, what, what he's saying there? It's not from you anyway. It's from the Spirit of God who opens your understanding. Give him the praise. Give him the glory. He saved you. Don't go around thinking I've got to keep my salvation, I've got to do these things so God won't, unlike me, you had nothing to do with it anyway except receiving it by faith. And God gave you the faith to believe. Just give him the praise and the glory. This is what Peter, I think, is saying. This is the mighty work of God, of God, not the mighty work of God in you. The mighty work of God you're here because of the mighty work of God. You're a miracle. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you this morning for your word. And Lord, how it just in, in 
fills us with the love of Christ. Because, Lord, we know that without your Spirit coming upon us with great power and changing our hearts, that we'd still be in our sin. Just as on the day of Pentecost when your Spirit came in great power. Lord, it still comes in great power. It converts the most wicked. Lord, it converted me. When I was shaking my fist in your face, you had mercy on me. Praise you, Lord. Praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.